Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Chicken Coop, the podcast for Corps by Corps. My name is Jack and today I'm joined by Annie. Hi. And Han Yuan. Hello. Basically, the gist of this podcast is that every now and then we'll meet and chat with alumni of the Corps program, hear about their stories, shenanigans and overall advice. So, with all that being said, who are we hearing from today, Annie? So for the first episode, we're inviting Andrew Finn on. He's a 2009 finance cop who's currently working at PwC Thailand. He shares a lot about his experiences in Asia and Canada, his thoughts on the value of networks, and reconciling his personal beliefs with the job in finance. So no matter who you are, what stream you're from, Andrew's story is quite interesting for everyone. Yeah, that's right. And even if you have absolutely no interest in finance at all, and honestly, who can blame me if you don't? Am I right, Jack? Amen. Hey! Even for a comsci major like me, who literally just takes no commerce courses, we still had some insightful conversations with Andrew, and I definitely learned a lot. Wow, you've absolutely sold me, Annie and Han Yuen. And speaking of selling, let's have a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by the UNSW Corp Society. UNSW Corp Society, get your tickets to ball ASAP. It'll be the biggest event of the year. Don't miss out. Hello, Andrew. Thank you so much for being the first guest of our new podcast. If you could just quickly introduce yourself to the listeners so they can get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Thank you, Jack. And thanks, Annie and Han Yoon as well for the privilege of being part of the first ever podcast. I don't even know what it's called yet. It's so raw. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm Andrew Finn. I am a finance 2009 co-op. So I was doing co-op from 2009 until 2012. So did three years and then uh, the honours as well. And obviously originally from Sydney. Uh, following my time in co-op, I joined the New South Wales government, worked for the government on and off for about seven years, six, seven years. Uh, and during that time, spent some time in Canada as well on a year off uh, studying theology. And once I got back uh, from, from Canada, uh, spent some time back in the government and then moved to Thailand. And I work for PwC Thailand right now in uh, infrastructure finance lots to get to i guess we'll start off at at the very beginning so could you just tell us briefly about your uni experience any highlights you may have had any interesting stories highlights from the co-op experience has to be like during our honors degree um, where we had it was compulsory at the time in finance Um, we had to do a lot of detailed statistical analysis which meant having to use the uh, computers on level is it level three i think of asb and yeah none of us could really get ourselves organized in time to finish these assignments you know before they were due so there are a couple of occasions where we stayed overnight on level three uh in the in in the asb uh ran regressions and analysis all night uh slept under our desk woke up the next morning <laughs> took a shower on level six i think there's a shower up there oh and you know, turn up to tutorials, uh, to tutor or to, to go to lectures and stuff. We have showers in the ASB? <laughs> yeah, there is, I think it's level six, uh, the what? function room. Yeah, there's a, there's a function room up there and there's a few bathrooms and yeah, there's a mysterious shower that not many people know about. Is there anything you wish you knew about placements before you, you know, began that you could pass on to, you know, current first years? Yeah, that's a really good question. 
if I was to go back and say something to myself, it would be focus on, on building trust with your colleagues, focus on learning. If, if I could b- go back, it would have been more proactive in you know, seeing other areas of the investment bank because it's very rare to get such access. People know you're going to be limited in how much you can offer. So why not just take the opportunity to try and learn as much as I could from others? And then the final thing I'd say is I would have done a better job networking, even from my first job. You're starting with other interns who are at least mm. closer to your age, probably third, fourth year students, and they've earned their way to, to that internship. So, you know, I hung out with them, but I probably could have done a better job. Even now, I'm probably not in contact with any of them. Just building some networks and can take that for your advantage uh, as your career progresses. So it was great hearing about your uni experience, Andrew. But what was it like trying to find a job after graduation, if you even did look for one? What's the process like? I, I graduated at the end of 2012, which means I was applying for jobs during the first semester of, of my final year. So I was applying for jobs. Why? Uh, the market was fairly difficult back then. We're still recovering from the financial crisis back in 08, 09. Yep. So in terms of the fields I was looking into, which were research, equity research with investment banks and uh, on funds management side. The ability to get in was pretty difficult. The market was very difficult. And unfortunately, those, those two roles were not part of the experience I really gained at my sponsors, apart from bits and pieces. So I unfortunately wasn't able to secure a job as we all want to at the end of our permanent placement. We kind of strategically like try and get into the yeah. one we want to stay at. Unfortunately, that didn't work out, and that's probably a different a different story. Part of that was I, I, I suppose I wasn't necessarily interested in the the path of roles I had had during my um, time in the sponsors. So it's an interesting thing about co-op. You can learn as much about what you want to do and as much as about what you don't want to do. And for me, it was more the the latter. So that was the framework. And then coming into my final year, that just meant applying for a lot of jobs uh, in those in those two fields. So yeah, equity research and, and funds management. To be honest, like <laughs> cast the net pretty wide. I applied mm-hmm. for a lot of jobs. So if I was to speak to myself back then, I would have been a bit more selective. I managed to get pretty deep in a process of you know, three or four roles, two of which were in funds management, which I was really interested in. And unfortunately, I uh, wasn't successful in any of them. And part of that was my lack of interview experience which is really ironic because I was a co-op, right? I, the, yeah. the last interview I'd done was when I was 17 in high school, a prefect, you know, had all these other credentials. <laughs> and then co-op, you don't need to do interviews because you've got internships just sort of waiting for you throughout the degree. So part of that was this poor interview performance for me, I think. And then cut a long story short, there was a second round of jobs coming sort of October, so towards the end of semester two. Um, and that's when I applied for a role in New South Wales government uh, which just had a different rhythm uh, in terms of its recruitment. And yeah, I managed to, to find a role there. I would never have imagined working for the government, as a, particularly as someone with a banking background. You mentioned two things about like equity and like um, funds management. Could you just quickly explain what they are? Of course. So equity research is a part of the investment bank that produces research uh, regarding companies on, on the stock exchange. And they produce free recommendations, buy, hold or sell. So it for me, it was a really interesting way of uh, yeah, picking a sector that I would have been interested in and then learning about uh, a bunch of businesses and then actually influencing the way in which investors make decisions with, with my insights. So that, that's equity research. And then in terms of funds management, that is, uh, in summary, 
taking money from from other people who trust you with their money and investing it in 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 assets in in stocks in bonds in property uh, whatever it is um and and trying to get a return uh, thank you very much for that so it's just like sort of like an investment i think it was like what they called it was like a sovereign wealth fund is what i heard or something like that like you just yeah, that- basically just pull a bunch of money together and then just like invest into different things yeah yeah wow very technical, Han Yuan. I didn't know you were a, a, a I saw finance expert at night. These, these comp science guys, they're them. impressive. They're impressive. Yeah, they're very impressive. So New South Wales Treasury was the, the grad role you managed to land. You previously mentioned that um, you had a one-year stint studying theology in Vancouver. So from, you know, working in the New South Wales Treasury, how do you suddenly get to, you know, studying mm. theology in Vancouver? So I think I need to go back a bit and say, you know, I, I was given the opportunity to be in investment banking, uh, which is one of the most glorified parts of finance, right? Yeah. But by the end of it, I didn't want to do that. I actually wanted to do, in, as we just discussed, equity research or, or fund management. So why? I found that it was very important to have a sense of purpose and a sense of influence in, in my role. And I felt like in equity research, but in particular fund management, I, I could get that. I could get that sense of ownership as well. So, you know, I would be given the trust of someone else's money and I could go and find businesses and invest in that and see it, see it grow. And I, I, I just felt like in, you know, the mergers and acquisitions world of investment banking, that was something that I actually enjoyed the work, but I didn't have that underlying sense of purpose and, and drive. So that was really important for me as I was looking into grad roles. Then I ended up working for the government, which if you think about it is probably one of the best ways to meet that, that desire for purpose and influence because you're you're taking less money um generally speaking and you are yeah you're working for for the people you are ensuring that in, in the case i was working for treasury right ensuring that people's money is it's been spent well and in within government i ended up rotating into infrastructure which which i love because in infrastructure i could you know work on a spreadsheet and then a year later i could see a road being built that mm. i had i had worked on which mm. would reduce traffic for my commute to basketball every week, um, these sorts of connect- <laughs> these sorts of connections. I was talking about Pennant Hills Road, by the way. I worked on all connects. <laughs> I worked on a tunnel when I was a grad oh, wow. in 2013. I actually just finished construction like two years ago. So I, I haven't been able to go back and drive on it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So this sense of purpose and wanting to make a difference, uh, I guess, for me, and that looks different for, for, for everybody, was like a consistent factor um, throughout my co-op experience yeah. I, I, I mean I came to that conclusion through my co-op experience and then that informed how I applied for jobs and then somehow or another I ended up in government and I was able to do that so then to come to your question about Canada that was in 2015 so I had spent three years in a grad role and then uh, was successful in getting an analyst role in government and had settled in, into the infrastructure team after a, a couple of rotations and yeah I was at a, at a point in my young career of three years plus co-op experience where I had done a lot of travel around Southeast Asia, traveled in particular to Cambodia, where I saw a lot of poverty and it was a very eye-opening experience. So yeah, as a, as a Christian, I'd been a Christian since I was 15, 16. Uh, I was really in summary trying to reconcile everything, like the kind of, oh, there's so much poverty in Cambodia. I'm doing really well in Australia. I'm working for the government. I really enjoy my work in finance, but you know, you know, if I was to follow, you know, this sense in my faith, I really want to move to Southeast Asia one day um, and, you know, try and do something about it, try and help out 
you know, the infrastructure sector, for example. So yeah, I, I had a really good mentor in treasury and we, we just talked it out. And she said, look, why don't you take the opportunity to, to go and study at this college that um, you keep mentioning. Um, so that's when I yeah, took the opportunity to spend a year overseas. And, and then when I came back, I went back to the same job. Yeah, and I spent that year just learning more about how um, I could still be a finance professional, but I could also, um, you know, maintain my my Christian faith uh, as well. So that was a really, really good year. And I came back from that experience uh, a year in Vancouver, Canada, at Regent College, studying the Bible, actually more equipped to do my finance job in a way, because I had my kind of purpose figured out that, okay, yeah, this is where I, I want to be. And if I end up in Asia one day, great. If not, then this is where I need to be. I actually improved my writing skills because, you know, mm. in, in Bible college, you need to read and write a lot. So it was funny because then I had to work on transactions where I needed to review contracts and write a lot of emails and things like that. So even some added kind of technical benefits. Yeah. And I just matured as a person and uh, I guess as a professional as well. So how did you end up reconciling the two, theology and finance? What did you see as the relationship between those two and how can they support each other? Yeah, so I spent a year in Canada and I came back and I was in Australia for two years. And I knew eventually I was going to come to Asia uh, and I was probably going to come to Asia using the experience I had had to date. So I came back to Australia and I spent two years working back for Treasury. And I ended up moving from the infrastructure team to the M&A team. And I worked on, on WestConnex where we, we did the sale of, of WestConnex, which was a $9.3 billion transaction it was super complicated, complex, but it was probably the quickest way I could possibly have advanced and learned so much about M&A, about infrastructure. So WestConnex is a, a toll road project in, in Sydney. So yeah, when I came back, it was like, you, you've been given this great opportunity. Just put your head down and, and work hard and, and network, get well-established. Um, and then when the time comes to go to Asia, take it. So the benefit of WestConnex was it was a, a large M&A process with a defined end over about a year and a half. So by the time we got to the end of the transaction, that was when I started talking to my managers and thinking about, okay, I, I still want to go to Asia. I think I still want to be in finance because I, I feel like, you know, by contributing to improving infrastructure, that's helping people's lives. That's helping people get home faster. That's uh, moving people around the world or around the city. That, that's a good thing. And that reconciles with my faith. So I want to stay in infrastructure but I want to do it somewhere else. I want to mm. see if I can move, move to Asia, um, particularly because I had this itch from my time in, in Cambodia earlier. I, I forget to mention I'm half Thai and half Vietnamese, so I also have kind of connections back, back with this part of the world as well, but born and raised in Australia. So um, that was when, at the end of the two years, I actually had some conversations with my advisor at the time, PwC. So PwC were actually working for, for the New South Wales government on West Kinex. And so after we were done, that's when I started having some conversations with, with PwC Sydney. And I, I asked them to help connect me to their Asia team. And they were happy to do that because I'd networked with them. I'd worked with them. I'd gained their trust, even though I wasn't part of their team. In fact, they were advising me. Um, they were very happy to facilitate that. And long story short, I, I did some interviews in Singapore and Thailand. And um, now, now I'm here. And um, yeah, now I am working on projects in um, Cambodia, even though I'm in Thailand and I'm, I'm working on an airport project right now in, in Cambodia in New Phnom Penh. And I feel like I'm uh, yeah, able to still kind of balance my, my faith and yeah, my actual profession and they're kind of, they're one and the same. 
how did your um parents be giving up one year of your oh, career to go question, study brilliant question it was okay uh, they they knew that you know parents ultimately they they want their, their children to be happy and to chase something they're passionate about so i explained to them what my plan was which was to take the year off and uh, i think it helped that you know my employer at the time treasury had had given me an assurance that if i come back i could step mm. step right back into my role yeah my yeah. parents um, valued value job security very, yep. very much so <laughs> are your parents tiger parents by the way andrew or like not too tiger my my parents strategy particularly my mom was she would she was tiger parent until the day i finished my selective school exam all the way back when i was <laughs> in year five oh. or year six whenever you do selective school so i remember like because my english was my english as a subject was pretty poor so i I did tutoring in primary school for English. Yeah. It's the only tutoring I've ever done to prep me for the selective school test. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did, I did good in, the, in that test and that got me into North Sydney boys. My mom's sort of parenting strategy was, you know, once, <laughs> once you get them into a selective school, like you could pretty much just let the selective school environment <laughs> take care of the rest. Um, and all three, of us, all three of us, actually, my two brothers as well went to North Sydney boys. Um, wow! Yeah, down, oh. Wow! Falcon blood really does look strong. Yes, so is the Falcons. Um, yes. Uh, just, just as a thing, because I actually went to North City Boys as well. I just, oh I really? Oh great! North, yeah, I actually went to North City Boys as well. Just like, um, just as another <laughs> sort of question before we move on to the next segment, like, um, what you sort of, how would you, like, how do you remember like North City Boys now? Like, just after, like, if you still like remember that many details from it? Yeah, every time I see an NSB friend. <laughs> Which is a bit rarer these days. <laughs> it's it's the biggest laugh, and then I realized, wow, like so much of who I am today is like a product of my NSB not any boy experience. Like just the the terrible humor, inability to interact with, with women because it was all boys right. school. So like we're just also like socially incompetent. Yes, those are the things I still think about to this day. Like anytime I have a call with an NSB, it's just, or you catch up with somebody, it's just like, oh, wow, that is, I thought this was just me. And now I remember like, that is why I find so-and-so funny. When you talked about like just the humor and like the sort of the, I was like, I'm in this picture and I don't like it. Can we not include this in the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like, you know what? NSB, I feel like hasn't really changed then. No, yeah. it has not. Since, I'll, I'll say since like, like 2008. No, it has not changed at all. No. There's a lot of NSDs in co-op, so... I, I remember when I had my first tutorial at New South, and, oh. like, yeah, you're just so used to, like, being around dudes all the time. And then, like, a lady walked into the tutorial, like, whoa, what is... What is this? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, what is that? What is that? I would just like to point out that like every single person from like like almost everyone from like my cohort from North City Boys went to UNSW. Not sure if it was the same for like your cohort as well. So it's just like in my classes, it's just like about 20 other North City Boys in every single class. <laughs> That's an interesting point. And I, you know, going back on the uni point, one of my regrets is because because I went to New South with so many other NSBs, I did not participate in societies like you guys are doing now. It's so, so mm. great. I wish I'd, I had been more involved in amazing race in cop i can't remember but um yeah there's sorts of other other events because i i think i missed out a lot in my in my first couple of years it was only in my last year where i really got close to my kind of finance co-op group and i'm still very close with with them today speak to them almost every day um you know good wow. chat so yeah so 
And we're we're all like there was eight of us. Oh, Not wow. a single one of us was in the same city at one point. So there's like oh. I'm I'm here, one is in Hong Kong, another was in London, another was in Canberra, and then yeah, there was like one left in Sydney. So you just you just end up everywhere. <laughs> so you guys do keep in touch. Do you keep in touch with oh, any of the 100%. other corps? Like non-finance or ones not within your cohort, or is it just mainly your finance cohort? For, for me, it's mostly finance, but mm-hmm. we kind of, we added a few few people along the way. So oh, the lucky ones. Uh, when, yeah, yeah, correct. <laughs> yeah, because they were, they were keeping a distinction average, so we thought we had included. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, no, just, just Unbelievable. This no, there was, there was, yeah, we, I, I still very close friends with a couple who are in San Fran right now. Um, one who was actuarial and the other one uh, accounting yeah otherwise it's, it's mainly the direct finance the, the the crew i was sleeping on the tables with is that's just another formative experience <laughs> correct correct we we all are just doing such different things so mm. the guy in hong kong is selling beef to china mm. he's importing mm. beef from australia into china and other sort of high income markets mm. uh, the actuarial co-op and accounting club I just mentioned one of them is in a tech startup um, like a data scientist the other one is working in infrastructure like like me and then I suppose the remainders are more normal there in sort of finance investment banking roles like um, in, in Sydney or um, yeah one, one friend working for government still uh, originally in Canberra and now she's back in Sydney working for government so. so Andrew you uh you mentioned that currently you're working in PwC Thailand um, you're a senior, senior manager in the infrastructure department. Could you just explain in layman's terms what your current role actually entails? So infrastructure is a, typically a, a service provided by, by the government. It can be anything from you know, the roads you take to, to school. It could be a railway line. It could be hospitals, schools. It can be solar, energy, gas production. Uh, it's a really broad, broad range. So my, my role is to help either government clients or in, indeed private sector clients on the financial elements of in, investing into infrastructure. To give you an example, I'm, I'm currently advising a private sector client in Cambodia who are constructing a new airport in, in Cambodia. It's about one and a half billion dollars in US. And we're helping them to find money to pay for this project. So they're, they're a big company um, and they're going to pay for a, a large part of it. But they're also going to um, need some debt from, from China. So I'm helping the client to prepare forecasts on, okay, how many people do we think we're going to use it? Uh, how much are people going to spend on duty-free? How much are people going to spend on food? How much is it going to cost to pay staff? How much does it cost to maintain runways? Et cetera. We bring all that together into a model, help my client understand how much money this project's going to make over the next few years, and then use that to go and help them to find people to invest in, in that project, uh, in this case, um, debt in China. So it's just one example. So you mentioned before that like you've obviously worked for like the New South Wales government and now you're working for PwC. So like, mm. I guess the question is like, what's the biggest difference between like working for the government and working for like a private sort of company, especially in like the field that you're doing right now? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's a question a lot of 
people who are about to graduate ask like, oh, should I join the private sector first? Mm. Should I join the public sector? If I join the public sector, then people going to think I'm lazy and not want to recruit me in the private sector. So what you find in public sector, especially now, is a lot of people from the private sector originally anyway. So I think that the two are kind of coming closer together. Then I guess from a private sector perspective, um, I guess it, it, it does depend where you, where you are in, in the market. For me, I'm an advisor. So, you know, my motivation is a little different. It's not taxpayers' money. It's finding clients who are see value in the advice we would bring them uh, and trying to build relationships with, with those clients, trying to obviously help them on, on whatever projects they have and try and make a decent fee out of it, for, you know, as, as compensation. So, yeah, it, it, it's a little... It's a little, I guess, more um, from the bottom up, if you will, where uh, I need to focus on client by client, building relationships with them. The end product is the same in that we're um, still holding on infrastructure projects, but my KPIs, if you will, are different. <laughs> oh, I need mm. to, yeah, I need to uh, make sure that you know the, t- the time I'm investing and the time my team is investing is, is useful time and that we're getting uh, enough money to, to run a business out of. So in that, in that sense, it's, maybe more entrepreneurial than um, than on the public public side. You feel closer to the you feel like closer to the money, I guess. Like if we're not making money, then I would make money. Whereas on, on the public side, I'm not saying it's not entrepreneurial, but yeah, it's just it just creates a different kind of sense of motivation. What would be one piece of advice for all the cops listening right now? What would you tell them? I would in one word say humility. You know, as I shared earlier, um, I was still looking for, for work very deep into my final year of university. And it was at that point I had realized that, man, I actually have no idea how to do an interview well. I haven't had to hustle like since, since I was in high school to kind of get you know, in access into these awesome companies, sponsor companies, because I've been so spoiled with, with the co-op experience um, as well. And that, that's, that's not a bad thing. But you know, when, when you kind of step back from co-op, there are plenty of other people who are fighting really hard not only on the grades, but also to do internships. You know, people are doing two internships every summer. They're volunteering for co-op societies. They're, they're doing podcasts. Um, yeah, so they're, they're setting themselves apart as well. And so, yeah, if I was to go and speak to myself back then, I would say just have more of a humility. You're, you're a co-op and yes, that means you've achieved a lot and yeah, you deserve to be there. But once you've actually graduated, like well, I think people are really going to care that you're a co-op. They're going to care that you've got a good attitude, that you can fight, that you've got decent experience and that um, you're going to be good for the company. So uh, a mixture of just uh, a humility and um, don't, don't get complacent. Thanks, guys, for listening to The Chicken Coop with your hosts, Jack, Annie and Hanyun. We'd like to say a massive thanks to Andrew for being the first guest on our brand new podcast. And that's all for this episode, guys. Stay tuned for next time.